Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast for another episode of the wonderful tones of Roscoe and Rocket. It's been a while since we've had the Rocket Man on the other end of the line, but it is big tournament season here in Australia. It's uh, the first day of the Oz Opens just finished and we're on the doorstep of the President's Cup. So it's only appropriate and we haven't heard from him for a while and he has been missed. I have been asked where's the Rocket coming back. We've had a, a few interview podcasts go out. So as you know, the Rocket fans, we always bring him in with some music. But I've got a special treat for him. I like to keep Rocket on his toes. I've got a special treat for him. I know he's a fan of this, so we are going to bring him in with some new music. You're going to like this, Rocket. You are going to like it, mate. You're going to like it. Here it comes. How's that, Rocket? Is, is that one of your favourites? It's up there. I think it's up there. I'm back, Roscoe. It's been a month. Mu- I think it's been a month. It's been a month. San Francisco 49ers are 10-2. and two. We lost to those dirty Ravens in the West. Ma Rocket has sent me a new box of Kiss Biscuits. She even sent over a little present for you and uh, Mrs. My Love of Golf. And I'll tell you what, my lawn's looking really good. Cooch getting nice and tight. I'm mowing it nice and low. The kookaburras have come back because they're eating all the slugs because I'm mowing the lawn so often. Life is great. Life is great. Mate, well, it's great to have you back. Did you actually know who that music is? No. It was John Cena. Oh. Aren't you a John, aren't you a John Cena <laughs> fan? Aren't you a John Cena fan? No. My, um, my 16-year-old, she is a John Cena fan. I'm a Triple H fan, um, so I'm all about the game. Oh, my bad, mate. That well, that that was actually uh, the young young Mister My Love of Golf, Lockie Flanagan, that uh, pl- plugged that in there. And said, "I'll play that for Rocket. He's a massive WWE fan. <laughs> uh, I'm play- a massive wrestling fan. Massive full stop. Massive wrestling fan. Days of our lives for dudes. That's what I call it. Did Did you get that little picture that I put up today on on Instagram with the uh, the mics? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I'm looking at it going, well, oh, there's something a little subliminal in here. And I saw it and it's like, oh, WWE mics. <laughs> oh, no, it was just the music, mate. It was just the music, mate. So, yes, your lawn is looking fabulous. How often are you mowing that just for the uh, the greenkeepers around? Uh, at least once a week. Okay. At least. Um, I nearly mowed it today but I uh, had a few other activities to do. So I think tomorrow being Friday, the weather looks all right. I reckon I could get the blade onto it because um, I was admiring it and it's getting a nice little tight sort of mat happening at the moment. So I'm, um, I'm quite pleased with it. You've got a lot in common with Mark Leishman in uh, this month's Golf uh, Digest. He, There's a little. He, he is he is my he is my spirit guide. <laughs> There's a little article there, and uh, they talk about his lawn mowing, and uh, he details it in uh, very fine 
fine uh, and accurate details about the uh, the thatch and the and the and the how much of um, mowing it takes to get it to grow thick and uh, I, all of that. I great. still think his wife telling the story of coming home and seeing the lawn on fire, and then talking about walking into the house and then seeing. Um, Mark and his dad sitting around the table just smashing beers and like treating it as if it was okay. I, I, I think that was probably my highlight of the whole thing. And he goes, you know, I, you know, it was a way of regenerating my lawn. Probably a, bit, a little bit illegal, but you know, it worked. Ah, I loved it. Now we've just gone into talking talking grass, and you know, we know the architecture bus and the and the and the lawn bus and the grass bus grass bus like that. But we do have a young listener out there, uh, young Keely Marks, and uh, Keely's father, who I know quite well, gave me some feedback that Keely's loving the podcast. Now, Keely's the current number one ranked uh, junior golfer in Victoria, maybe even Australia, but I de- think definitely in Victoria. Loving the podcast, let's talk about grass. <laughs> so, Keely, if you're listening to this uh, Oz Open pre-President's Cup. Just fast forward. We just had to go to just the grass story because it's... A man rocket here who we don't get the chance to speak to every week. He loves it, so we've just got to give him his little bit of grass time. And you know, if you go and follow him on Instagram, you'll see the. Where, beautiful... where does where does Keely play out of? Uh, your old step uh, stomping ground up there in the hills there at uh, the Heritage. Oh, I know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you can't miss Keely Marks uh, of the famous Marks family up there. They're yes, wonderful, yes. wonderful people. Darren, good day. Thanks for your feedback and thanks for listening and uh, and also listen to the uh, Mental Mastery Golf see, Podcast with uh, Jane. See, the and thing I. is, though, you play at Heritage and you don't quite have the same appreciation of grass until you play at uh, Peninsula. Oh, well. Once you step onto the the you know the winter evergreen plus the pure distinction, grass appreciation day becomes very very. Uh, the senses become very tingly. Well, we did have the chance to have a little hit together. Uh, what was it? Two Sundays ago, did we not? Yes, we did. Down there yeah. with uh, Chris, Golf Guy 77. You should follow Golf Guy 77. If you are a travel buff and you dream of traveling and playing golf and playing all of the uh, best courses that the man, that the uh, great man can offer you, you have to follow Chris because he's just had this trip down here. And it was more where, it was more was where, a full on trip. It was more like, where didn't he play? It was more where yeah. didn't, didn't he play? He he got uh, he got everywhere, but he went to Taraiti, and I saw those pictures of Taraiti, and uh, the it just even made me want to go there even more. I'm not sure that I'll ever get the uh, uh, tick of approval to get across there <laughs> in the current uh, economic climates, Rocket. But uh, maybe we need some uh, assistance from maybe Talamese or BMW <laughs> or. Uh, um, Bushnell, or um, and I'm just looking at my other. What else is in my golf bag? Maybe a bit of Cleveland, maybe. I don't know. I'm just looking at any other brands that might want to sponsor us to do a podcast from Taraiti. We are to report on the grasses from there. Maybe. We are. I was going to say we are. Well, at least I am proudly independent in my podcasting uh, journey thus far, and proud of that. Uh, but Robert, I'm happy I... to sell my soul. <laughs> I'm happy you on the to other sell hand. my soul. You know, I've been trying for 12 months, 2019, uh, the year of trying to at least get at least a bit of a gig up and uh, so far unsuccessful. Rocket is available. But um, unfortunately, you're only able to join us for the 18 holes. But in the in the second uh, 18 holes that we had with Chris, Mike Cocking came down and, and caught up with us. And uh, it was a very interesting uh, few holes. He joined it. He was kind enough to join us for a few holes and uh, walk around and just explain to Chris 
you know, who is obviously a, a very big golf course and architecture buff. And hello, Chris, you will be listening over there in Arizona. Uh, just some of the story behind the course and, you know, the reasons why, you know, the uh, wastelands have been put in and a bit of the story about the greens and the bunkering and its connection with the sand belt and uh, just a little bit more about the work that Mike's doing in Texas. And it was just, uh, it was very nice just to earwig in for, you know, a few holes to listening to two true golf nerds talk about golf architecture. So, Mike, if you are listening, I hope you do. Thank you for uh, coming down and uh, really adding to Chris's trip. That was a really nice thing for you to do, and I know that it made Chris's day. So, thanks for doing that, Mike. Now, mate, what else has been happening at your end? Um, no, I think I've pretty much described it all. Okay. Definitely looking forward to the Presidents Cup next week. Okay. Well, before um, before we get into the Presidents Cup, let's talk a little bit about the other big tournament that's in Australia. The only big tournament that's in Australia from a Aussie Open. Aussie Open. Well, it's Thursday. It's already it's like amazing to think that we're already uh, half. You know, the events kicked off. Don't know how they're even seeing their golf balls because of all the smog and smoke um, that's uh, engulfing New South Wales. Unfortunately, with all the fires over there. Big uh, shout out to all the New South Wales uh, fire department and uh, all the rural firefighters that are uh, providing great assistance to the country um, off their own bat. Um, but it's interesting just look at the leaderboard. We've got uh, an you know world number one amateur out of Japan, Takumi Kanama, at uh, six under, and uh, another amateur out of Korea, I think it is, also tied at six under. Amazing. A couple of uh, amateurs that have come, you know, they've probably never played a course like this in their life, rolled into Australia and uh, leading um, by a couple of shots after the first round. Have you been to the Australian before, Rocket? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, it kind of isn't on my bucket list. don't know. I think it's one of those, it just looks like a really big, some people have played it and they say it's great. I've kind of looked at it when I've seen it at Australian Opens and stuff like that and it kind of doesn't really float my boat too much because I think it's a bit of a uh, Jack Nicholas. how long can you make it, how hard can you make it. So, I don't know. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Did I mention, Rocket, that I played it yesterday? Well, that is one thing I would like to bring up. How did you score a gig in the Pro-Am, not only in the Pro-Am, but you played with a long-bombing, sweet-swinging protege from WA, drumroll, the brother of Minji Lee, Minwoo Lee. Please tell me, one, how you got there, two, what was it like, and my God, does the boy swing it like a like an angel, and hit it like a demon. Well, let's cover the how I got there part. I finished work at around 11 o'clock uh, in the city. I booked myself the cheapest hotel I could find near the airport. I got to bed about 2. I woke up about 4 and got the uh, 6 o'clock flight to Sydney. Oh, QF 400. That's, oh, I've flown that sucker many times. So I had about... Uh, one hour of sleep because I put out the uh, Steve uh, Smith uh, Golfing Greenkeeper podcast uh, 
and just finished that off and bumped that out. So I was doing that at about 1.30am. But got up there, had the whole morning to um, just acclimatise myself to the smoggy, as you point out, smoky conditions in Sydney. It was unbelievable. I'd seen it before up there in fires as, a, as an ex-New South Welshman and as we have down here in the bad fire times. But it was um, very, very smoky. Acclimatised myself with, had a little bit of a look at the uh, some of the guys coming through, saw Paul Casey, saw Adam Scott, um, watched Sergio for a little bit and uh, that was great. And <laughs> actually, um, interesting story that I picked up. So Sergio's brother is caddying for Paul Casey this week. And, really? Yeah, and the story I was told that… Well, um doesn't like getting clubs thrown at him, obviously. Well, it is a club-related story. Uh, it's just on a bit of a tangent. So… Paul Casey, I believe, who when he played, um, when he was sponsored by Nike for you know, top-to-toe equipment and uh, apparel, he loved that uh, iron. I forget the name of the, the iron that it was, um, that it is called. But he loved it that much that he bought about 10 sets of them. And the rumour the rumor was that he's down to his last set. And Sergio, oh, are these the, the Nike V-Blades? Yeah, that's, yeah, those things, the Vapor or, yep. vapor or whatever they are. And... Uh, so the rumour is that he's down to his last set. The, the other part of the rumour I heard was that Tommy Fleetwood offered to buy a couple of sets off him and he politely declined. But um, Sergio's brother is catting for him and was bouncing around and uh, bouncing the clubs and chattering the clubs a little bit too uh, much. And uh, there was a few words, had <laughs> polite words to say, you know, come on, come on, boyo, just, you know, keep the bag quiet and keep those clubs as pristine as you can because they're the last set that I've got. So I don't know how, I don't know how true that is, but uh, there might have been another part of that story which I won't tell because it involves other people and other brands. But um, but yeah, he was politely politely reminded to uh, they're the last set that I've got, and you chatting them about like that isn't going to keep them pristine for you know for the the length that I want to keep them. So pick your game up, boyo. So anyway, wow, it's interesting when you think someone's gone and bought you know ten sets because they like them so much and they're not willing to just go and pick something else. But at the same time, Paul Casey's been playing all right in the last couple of years. Absolutely. So you can kind of, kind of, kind of see why he's a uh, he's got a good golf swing, and he's uh, just uh, I think he's very likable. You know, he, he can be a little bit dour, but I, I like him. I've always liked him, and uh, someone who's risen up through some harder times to come back and you know, perform at the highest level. I like that. So, uh, yeah, I chilled out for a couple of hours in the morning and had a bit of a look around, went down to the range, watched some of the guys, and then come one o'clock, um, it was time to play. And I had, the, uh, as you say, the lovely pleasure of playing with Minwoo Lee, who's just, just a star, an absolute superstar. And, yeah, yes, everything you've heard and seen about him crushing the golf ball at ridiculously um, long distances, high ball speeds and club head speeds is absolutely correct. And... Uh, yeah, he's about six foot tall. He's actually quite strong in the in the bottom half. I was sort of checking him out in in a golfing sense, and um, he's quite strong in the bottom half. Not very big on the top half, but just obviously has this massive coil and fast twitch sort of um, you know construction to him, and uh, it was quite impressive to watch. And what a nice young man! Now I'll tell you a story, Rocket, about Min Minwoo. We had. Young Isaac Richards. Now, shout out to uh, Damien and Isaac Richards. Now, if you don't know Isaac Richards, he's a young seven-year-old boy from Armadale. Obviously, a massive golf fan. He's got about eighteen thousand followers on uh, Instagram. 
he's the young chap that uh, has posted videos all through you know the social networks about him playing golf and his golfing journey. Now, the one that uh, when I saw him uh, stuck out to me and came immediately to mind was the one where he was pitching up onto a green, goes obviously goes near the hole. The ball goes in the hole. He runs up and he's just running like a little you know kid that's as happy as he's ever been. Jumps up and down, and that just you know, it was the first Isaac Richards video that I saw. Now he's posted a lot of videos where he putts from up in the garden bed and it rolls down the fairway onto the green. You know, he's walking off doing a club, club twirl as the ball, you know, drops into the hole. That's how good this little fellow is. He came out and was following us. And I didn't realise that uh, he and him were already had a very close connection. And I was talking to Isaac's dad, Damien. I said, so, you know, what's the connection with, with Minwoo? And he told a really nice story that, when the Open was at Royal Sydney, so what, two years ago? Yeah, three, three, ago. three years ago. Isaac yep. was four. So he was four and he was standing beside the putting green throwing a ball up and down. The, he missed the ball, catching the ball, hit him on the face and the nose and he was injured. So his nose was bleeding, he was in tears. You know, the, the little tyke was only four. So he was beside himself. Min Wu and Scotland's own Connor Syme were the only ones that came across from the putting green, because all the pros were putting, to ask and inquire how he was. And they stayed with him until they made sure that he was um, better. You know, his nose had stopped bleeding and he'd calmed down and he was happy. And, you know, they made this really nice connection. So since then, Connor, um, Minwoo and uh, young Isaac have um, kept in contact. So he followed us all the way around and was putting. And... Uh, I love these golf stories. Yeah, and it was it was really nice. Anyway, so he's having a little putt with us, and on I can't remember the hole, but it was a par three, and I'd hit it really close, which was surprising for me, but I hit it really close, and you know it was a team game. So I said, Isaac, come up here and help me read this putt. And I said to him, I said, when did you realise that you were a punning phenomenon? It just sort of whispered in his ear as we were both crouching over this putt. Inspecting a seven-year-old to go, oh, I don't know, yeah. He said, well, when I was four, you know, I started, and he just went on this little story and just everyone heard and just cracked up. So he could just articulate, you know, everything about putting and when he learned and when he was four, you know, like this kid's unbelievable. Anyway, it was a really nice little story and it was really nice to um, get to meet him and he just followed us around and uh, had a little putt and had a little bit of a, uh, a talk to everyone and uh, all the uh, people that were out there watching the program were really, really happy to see him and didn't know who, a lot of them didn't know who he was but they just uh, certainly did after he had come through with the group so it was really nice of him we were to allow him to you know, bag up with him for um yeah, for 18 holes, and it was nice to hang out with him. So, yeah, Minwoo was fantastic. The other chap that we played with um, was a chap by the name of Mike Brown, Englishman. Now, Mike is one of the leading all-abilities golfers. So as you may or may not know, if you're listening, um, for the listeners out there, the, the All-Abilities Australian Cup is played in conjunction with the Australian Open. And uh, so there's about 12 uh, golfers that are playing in the All-Abilities Cup. And Mike Brown is one of those guys. He's already committed to coming onto the podcast, so he's in Australia for a little bit, and he'll be playing uh, on Friday at the President's Cup, and we're going to catch up with him uh, next week. But it's not a I wouldn't, it's not a sensational story because it's quite tragic. Obviously, um, you know he, he's an amputee, so he lost the use of his left leg um, in the military in a training exercise, and 
he became a golf pro in about two years, in 2014, after he um, decided to amputate his leg after he didn't recover from his injury. Uh, he needed something to do. Uh, he'd seen uh, other people with his um, injury and, and disability uh, come out and play golf, and he's that sort of way inclined that he just invested everything into it, and within two years he was able to turn professional. So I got to um, ride in the cart and play alongside and with Mike and you know, just a fantastic guy and I wish him all the best this weekend. I really hope he does uh, get the job done. Liverpool fan Rocket. Um, I wasn't so, I was quite sure about that, but uh, I can see why Why he's a Liverpool fan. I love this man already. <laughs> I know you. I, I love knew, this man I already. I know you would. You Go know. Reds. Yes, that's right. But uh, yeah, that was sensational. Just getting on top to of play the table at the moment, by the way. Oh, 11 points clear. Yes, absolutely. That was fantastic. And the other person that I played with, and the reason why I was there, was playing with Paul McLean from Bushnell. Now, Paul was kind enough to invite me up a couple of weeks ago, and I was happy enough to uh, oblige of that invitation. Got my own way up there, flew myself up there, and um, played along with Paul. Got to see a little bit of the uh, there's a, a new Bushnell product coming, which he was using, and it looks fantastic. Does he know I'm available? <laughs> I think everyone knows you're available now, Rocket. There's, a, <laughs> there's, a, there's approaching ten thousand. There's approaching ten thousand people out there that listen to this podcast that uh, that certainly know that you are available, Rocket. <laughs> but got to see got to see the new uh, Bushnell product that uh, he'll release sometime in the very near future, and uh, had a look at the Pro XE that uh, Mike was using. Pro XE is a fantastic rangefinder. It's the one that uses the um, weather takes into account the weather conditions. So if you're playing, obviously, in not tournament competition golf... It does what? Yeah, it's got like a barometer. Um, so it takes in, into account the barometric conditions. So not only does it do distance and slope, but... Uh, what is it, what, what, what have they found a way to, like, virtually put Jane Bunn into the, <laughs> like, the thing or something, have they? Because uh, i tell you what, my uh, Bushnell Tour version 2... Uh, doesn't have that functionality or feature. Rocket, it's like every bit of technology, mate. It progresses very rapidly, and if you don't get on board, you get left behind, and you're in that left-behind state at the moment in the V2. Mate, I'm, I'm more than left behind. Still very functional. Like, there's very left functional. behind, and then there's on behind that. So the, v, the I think the V5 will be the next one, but uh, the Pro XE, which is top of the Wazza, it, it takes into account the climatic conditions. So whether you've got cold air and the ball doesn't travel as far or warm air and it travels further, it's, it's making readings and giving you distances based on that. Now, that is not a plug so, for so, Bushnell. So if they, if they, and is there terminal velocity function in that? Because no. I feel there's a little bit of Bryson in this one. So is it calculating it faster than Bryson or on par with? No, well, that's a very good question. And, you know, you would be – unwise to back against Bryson and his ability to use a protractor, the mental calculator, and just his uh, understanding of uh, Newton's <laughs> physics laws and science. To you, you would be unwise to back against him, but I believe it would be quicker than his able to, oh, ability oh, to calculate oh. all of those um, factors. But I'd anyway, like to take that bet. It's a good thing. Um, <laughs> so, Paul, Paul, thank you very much. Uh, happy to chum you along to, to golf events uh, and be your uh, plus one anytime Paul thanks very much but uh, it was uh, great to see that the relationship that Paul has with Mike Brown so basically he, he is um, Bushnell uh, sponsoring uh, one of Mike's sponsors um, out of the, the UK distributor and 
you know, I can see why they want to want to support someone like Mike Brown because he is just a, a gentleman and a very, very talented golfer. So that's why Paul was there and he invited me along. And obviously kindly enough of Mike to um, offer his offer us the opportunity to um, record a podcast with him next week when he's in Melbourne to play at the President's Cup. So looking forward to that. So, yeah, the Australian. Um, back to the course. I, I was actually quite surprised, you know. Like I grew up in in New South Wales, as you know, and spent a lot of time in Sydney and any time you'd go to the airport, and I actually just lived around the corner from there for many years, you would drive past up that uh, expressway that takes you into the city from the airport and all you can see is the top of the the clubhouse roof, that big sort of pointed spire, cathedral sort of ceiling, and you'd always wonder what's in behind there. And, And yesterday for me was the day that I got into, you know, behind the curtain to have a little bit of a look. And... It's fairly impressive. Now, as you alluded to, the the purists will say, you know, it's Nicholas you know, and Mr. Packer Americanized it and that's what they wanted at the time because that's where golf was going, you know, back in the 80s or 90s whenever they did the redo, 90s or whatever. But it's still... 80s. 80s, sorry. It's still a very impressive course and it's still probably one of the more, the more capable um, venues for hosting a big tournament with a lot of people because it, it does have space. Um, it does have that stadium-type feel, you know, where yeah. the viewing's good and it just sets up and looks as a great course. Now, yeah, it's not a sandbelt course. It's not like what we're used to uh, down here at Peninsula Kingswood, mate, but, um, you know, that's just another genre of golf. But, you know, what I noticed was... Beautiful fairways, as you'd expect. Everything was beautiful. The green complexes were what stuck out to me. They weren't overly large. And, you know, from front to back, side to side, they looked fairly flat. There was a few tiers in, in, in a few, but there can be some real tricky pin positions on this course. And So, yeah. is, it, so, is, that, so is it more of a, it doesn't look like it's every, you know, n- no one's buried any elephants under there, but there's, you know, I always find greens that, are, that can be subtle. And have these little nuances. They're actually sometimes can be the trickier ones and the ones that have the extremes. Because Correct. the extremes, you can go, I know what it's going to do. Versus, I'm not sure if this is left to right, right to left, or both. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much how it was for me. And you know, I don't rate myself as uh, the best green reader in the in the game. But you know, when I was listening and, and sort of talking to Mike, you know, he was looking at those greens and going, "Well, this is really tricky." You know, like a lot of that, I thought that would go left. And it went right, or I thought it got right and it went left. So there was, there was quite a fair bit of that. But they're not small, um, they're not big green complexes. And, you know, I'm going to be really interested to see where they pin uh, the pins for Tournament Sunday because there are some potential very, very gnarly um, little pin positions tucked away on the back, little plateaus and in behind corners. So I guess that's its defence. And we've seen this course before um, last year, but uh, it was just, look, Rocket, it was just a fun, it was a fun day. It was a great bucket list experience, you know, to let alone to play that course, but to play and be alongside. Um, Especially when it's it's like you're talking about playing a course like that in tournament conditions, right? That's the other thing. Right? So you're playing it the day before um, everyone's about to hit this thing for round one. So it's, their ways are tight. The greens are firm. They're running fast. So you're getting to play it in tournament conditions. And I can honestly say that when you play a course, normal conditions versus tournament conditions, it's quite an experience. So I'm 
I, I, I was excited for you thinking about getting to play a course like this in those conditions and also playing with someone like Min Wu. Like, giddy up. Like, really giddy up. I'll give you a couple of other highlights. So I got to see uh, Leash. So Leash was up there. He, oh, Leash is looking. Oh Leash is looking magnificent. Well, he's dropped a bit of weight. Leash, I don't know. He must. I think right. he's been doing a bit of um, Phil Quan calves or something like that. <laughs> Mate, he he is looking fantastic. Leash is Leash is a beast right now, and uh, so that was that was great to see. Uh, also bumped into Dave Michaluzzi on the putting green. So. I just straddled up next to Dave Michaluzzi and I said, geez, I'll let any Peninsula Kingswood members on here, won't they, mate? And he went, oh, g'day, mate, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mika, all the best to you, mate, another uh, PK member. Um, another PK member, I bumped into Jeff Ogilvie and I congratulated him on his hole-in-one over there at the Wishbone. Oh, my God, could you n- – that – you can't script anything like that. That was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life, and so many people had different camera angles. It was just, he was still on a high. Like Jeff was still on a high. So here, I, I go up to him and so I go to Jeff, how are you going? You know, congratulations on the whole out. He said, oh, thanks, mate. I said, oh, by the way, I'm I'm Ross and I'm a Peninsula member, and he sort of loosened up a little bit. But uh, we had a little bit of bit, bit of a chat about that, and he, you could tell that he was just still on a high about uh, holding out in front of, you know, just the. San Diego so sort of like golfing. There's a couple of thousand people. There's a couple of thousand yeah. people. So it's like a little bit of a, a tournament on this really unique golf course in California. And it's sort of right up his alley. And they're tied coming to the last hole. And oh, who were they playing? So oh. he's Xander Shoffley and uh, I forget the other two, two guys. No, Xander. Xander's hit one like stiff. And so they're, they're tied in the last hole, and he basically, you know, we'll call it, it's a walk-off hole-in-one. Basically just just slam dunks it slam to dunk. win. Oh, oh. It's... And the crowd, <laughs> they were losing it. It was awesome. It was so good. So I bumped into Jeff and congratulated him on that. And uh, probably the highlight part was, so we went down onto the range, and I snuck on out to where the players were. And uh, I was with Mike, so he was doing a bit of a warm-up, and I was just watching him and doing all that. But he just... Sort of plopped his bag next to uh, the mattress king. Oh, Louie, <laughs> the mattress king. So just re- just remind everyone who is uh, the mattress king for you. It's not my name, by the way, listeners. It's the uh, the name that Rocket Man here has given to Louis Oosthuizen. Louis Louis Oosthuizen, Louis Oosthuizen, because he has a bad back, and so to mitigate against having a bad back or having a bad sleep during a tournament, he would ship by UPS, his own mattress from tournament to tournament. UPS, Thus, UPS being his sponsor. He is the mattress king. He is the mattress. Well, I, need, I nearly needed a mattress and a lie down after watching you swim because it's like a metronome, mate. It's like... It is pure. It is pure. Do you know what? It, it's one of those things, right? Golf, you know, Jamie and I talked about this um, weeks ago in terms of golf was a crazy game. So you got someone like Louis Oosthuizen, who has one of the most purest swings on the planet and is a ball striker from tee to green. He is amazing. But as a putter, oh, he is, he is feeding him almost like bordering on a leper. He is a, ter- he is a very ordinary putter. Well, do you know what he shot today, actually, in the first round? I think he shot three under. Yeah, okay, so he's not too far off the pace. I think Mimu shot three hundred too, too. I believe. I think he did. Yeah. I think he did. I'll just double check. 
here we go. Minwood. Yep, three under. Uh, Louis. Yep, Louis three under as well. But there was one position. Good position. There was one disappointing thing about the whole thing, Rocket, and there was nothing that uh, anyone could do about it, other than the man himself, the one that didn't turn up. Oh, Cairo kid. Yeah. Did you did you forecast that he wasn't going to come down under this this year? Was that you? I, or was that I some... actually think. Remember, I actually think. I think that I said on a one of one or two of the podcasts when we were talking about this that if he wasn't in the Presidents Cup team, he would fake a back injury and not make it to the Australian Open. He made it to the Presidents Cup team, yet he still, I don't know picked up a bowling ball or something the wrong way or an ice cream from the movies when he went out on a date night and he hurt himself. Mm. So he had a back injury, so that meant he can't play in the President's Cup or can't play in the Australian Open. But I know he might actually have injuries and I should be sympathetic. I actually, of all people, should be very sympathetic about back injuries. But the timing and the extent and the drama that surrounds what he does it doesn't quite pass the sniff test. Well, I think there was a few disappointed uh, people up there, but uh, that he wasn't coming, obviously, and uh, and so was I, because I was looking forward to, to you know, watching him for a couple of holes and seeing him on the range and that sort of thing. But uh, anyway, we'll move on from that. Tip for the Australian Open, Rocket Man. Who, who are you picking? Oh, I actually had a look at the field the other day. And it's a really, really good field, although, unfortunately, some of the ones that I thought that would perform well have, you know, they've blown up straight off the bat. You know, Adam Scott, I think he's like five over. Jeff's a couple over. You know, we've got Hawaii five over. He's a couple over. That's uh, Robert Allenby for anyone that didn't know. Um, Paul Casey's at three under. I, 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 I think... I've got maybe two, right? I'm thinking Paul Casey because mm. I think he's actually had really good form over the last few years and um, and he's got off to a good start. And I think the other person, I think, you know, he's, his 2019 was less than to, to be desired. Um, he's obviously looking fit, so he's probably got off the cans and that's the leash. So Casey, leash... I reckon one of those two will win. I don't think I could pick one straight off the bat. I'd love to see someone. I'd love to see Leash win because he just needs he needs something good to close 2019. Um, but either of those two, I reckon. And there's a few other players that are in the field. You know, we've got Sergio. I, I just hope he... Actually, do you know what? There's a part of me hoping he's going to explode because it just provide more content. Um, and then I'm just going through back through the field in terms of who's thereabouts. Uh, Sergio. Yeah, there's no other real standouts. There's a few guys I've played pennant golf with. Um, who are they, Rod? Who 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 are you played pennant golf with that's playing in the Australian well, Open? In Hawks. terms of my a former fellow teammate is uh, DJ Lapure. Um, plays out of uh, Kingston Heath, so he's two over. Um, I played against, and if anyone's seen the video with Minwoo and Dave Michaluzzi and Zach Murray, so I I had the pleasure of playing 
uh, Zach Murray um, Vic after he won the Vic Amateur as a 16-year-old. Yeah, that was fun. Um, tore me a new one. Um, he's uh, he's at one over. He's the nicest kid you'll ever meet on the planet. Um, oh, I really hope he has a really awesome career. Uh, who else is around? So big. Oh, uh, Tas- a Tasmanian. A Tasmanian won the pro am yesterday. Actually, in the afternoon field, big, big Hawksy. Oh, he was the um, the uh, the Vic Open um, reigning Vic Open not, champion. Not last year, but the year before. Yes. Oh, correct. the year before. Yeah. yeah. So Hawksy well, won. He's, he's five over. Yeah. Uh, who else is playing? There's a few interesting names going through. Few few Americans out here. Smiley Smiley Kaufman. I, I was uh, I saw Smiley Kaufman there. Uh, at the I end just of... hope that dude plays well. Right, there is no one that's you know. <laughs> I just want him to find form. Um, my my fellow state team member Matty Goggin is playing. He's shot seven over. Unfortunately, I think he's just had a lot of he's had a lot of um, injuries in the last couple of years, which is which is a shame. But yeah, so I think, I think the leash. I don't know. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. Let's go the leash. Okay. Pick the leash. Well, I'm gonna go Casey because, because uh, I, I, I just liked watching him yesterday, and uh, he was having a good, good banter with the people that were following him, and uh, he seemed, uh, he seemed in a good space. So I'm gonna go with the Case man. Okay. All right, mate. So that's the Oz, the Oz Open. It's at the Australian. Well, if you... Climate emergency open. We can probably call it. I tell you what. It's uh, not only is it a weird sort of environment to play in in that sort of smoky, hazy conditions. Um, it's actually quite taxing because the you know the air is dense and you know by the end of the day my eyes were absolutely stinging. They were stinging, and, and you're breathing in ash. And, you and, might as well go and grab a, a packet of of Winnie Blues, light them up, and just like inhale them all on the spot. <laughs> oh, we're not allowed to advertise cigarettes on here, mate. Winnie Blues. <laughs> uh, the kids don't know what windy blues are. Um, yeah, no, that's right. You know, a lot of the, the the fixtures and the fittings had had dust, and people going, "Oh, it's very dusty." And that's ash, mate. That's fallen from the fires from the smoke. But uh, anyway, wish it was dust. I'm not complaining because it was it was a fantastic experience. Now, mate, I set you some homework before. Yeah, so it's president president's cup week next week, and. You know, we had uh, Steve Smith, the golfing greenkeeper, uh, on the podcast that came out this week. And uh, go and listen to that because Steve's a very passionate young man, loves his golf, loves greenkeeping, and really is trying to promote the work that the greenkeepers and superintendents do that sometimes goes unrecognised um, in the main by you know us everyday, every week, regular golfers. So always be nice to your ground staff, your superintendents and the greenkeepers. He gave us a little bit of uh, insight into his experience speaking with um, Mr Forsyth at uh, Royal Melbourne, but I asked you to go a little bit deeper and to help the listeners that might not know as much about the beauty and why Royal Melbourne is such a special place and what it owes to the work of Dr. Scotland's very own Dr Alistair McKenzie. So here is your, once again, time to shine, Rocket, and bringing some extra value reason why you're here to the listeners and helping us understand who was dr mckenzie 
and what were some of his uh, legacies to the game of golf? Why do we, why do we love him so much? Why do you love him so much? Well, because you love him. Well, we've talked about this one. I think it was on a preview of um, the Masters we did earlier in the year when I talk about Augusta National, um, as the the doctor was, you know, the the uh, architect with Bobby Jones for that. But Bobby Jones picking the doctor because of you know his engagement with him, you know, when he was over in St Andrews one year, but then more specifically when Bobby Jones played Cypress Point. So for me, I kind of almost refer as Cypress Point as like my mecca, because I think there's a lot of things that have come out of just that course, um, and things that have spawned from that, which um, has driven a lot around golf courses, architecture and the, you know, the sliding doors moments because, you know, the original person that was supposed to design it was uh, Seth Rayner. And unfortunately when he passed away, you know, the, the Dr. McKenzie had taken it on and there's a folklore that talks about McKenzie had actually retained Rayner's routing, um, but he applied his own touches to it. Um, so yes, you, uh, you set me a, interesting task of talking a little bit more about the doctor so we'll get to the very simple things the man was born in august 30 and 1870 so he must be a leo uh my rocket is a leo i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing hey i'm a leo um, i'm a leo it's a great oh. thing <laughs> we need maybe we cut this one out <laughs> um uh passed away uh in january the 6th 1934 so the reason he's Dr. Alistair McKenzie, because he's an actual trained surgeon. So the dude is an actual legit doctor, uh, especially back in the, I think about the 1800s, that would have been an early 1900s, so a little, a little bit primitive. So um, another, one of the golfing architectural greats that came from another field. There are a few, there are a few stories like that, aren't there? Oh, they, 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 all, they all have because they've come to it in a different way. And, yeah. and his story is, is no different. You know, so he trained as a surgeon and he actually served in the British Army during the Boer War. Um, but during that time, he actually start, he started to actually study um, the use of camouflage by the Boers um, during the Boer War and then after that. And so when World War Two or World War One came about in 1914, he returned to military service, not as a surgeon, but as an actual camouflage expert. So this is where he, he's like had this fascination of how do you imitate nature by doing something? And there's some really good photos um, that I was looking up and it was showing some photos where he created some trenches for the troops. And so from one direction, you could see the trench and you could see the troops and what they were doing. But if you were actually coming from the other direction, you couldn't see a thing. And you wouldn't know that there was a trench there. So you could kind of see the connection of, you know, where some of the things that he does and how he built it and where he learnt to do these things um, was all born out of what he learnt to do as a camouflage expert during the war. Um, Very interesting. Yeah, it is. It's it's absolutely fascinating. So, but even before you know the World War One, you know, he was one of a is a founding member of a golf club, which I think is 
um, doesn't exist anymore. So all Woodley, and it was actually one of his first designs, and it was really interesting. The committee were very, um, I think they were a bit concerned about some of his ideas and the cost of his ideas, and they uh, called in a favour and asked um, the legendary Harry Colt to come in and review um, his actual designs uh, because they kind of deemed them as just kind of a bit over the top and a bit expensive. So, you know, Harry Colt had actually spent a bit of time with him, stayed with him for a while, and over that journey, he said that, you know, Harry Colt was on record as saying, you know, many of the ideas and the concepts that, you know, Alistair McKenzie, the doctor, was presenting and what he was doing aligned with the kind of thoughts and thinking about golf course architecture that Harry Colt um, also adhered to as well. So in, in, he actually helped rubber stamp a lot of the things he was trying to do at that at that golf course. Um, so that was kind of an interesting turn. I think it was just the validation of the journey he was on. And so that was his first course. There was a lot of other little courses he was doing before World War One. There's obviously a bit of a pause on there. Um, but one of the things that Alistair McKenzie was building for, and we talk about, you know, we talk about the rollback of the ball. So he was actually building courses for the change in how they play. So any history buffs in there sort of realised that going from, you know, the gutter percha, so that was like the leather ball with the feathers in it, moving to the Haskell ball, which is a bit more of a solid sort of core. So he actually had a lot more bounce um, and run and distance compared to the other ones. So building courses to um, to be able to, or we'll call them almost future-proof for the new ball that was coming out. And, you know, early days, you know, one of the things they're saying about Alistair McKenzie and his style, one of the, you know, so first and foremost, anyone who's played any of his courses, his style and which sort of stands today is undulating greens, you know, long and narrow greens that angle from the centre of the fairway. And when we talk about long and um, narrow greens, if anyone looks up, wants to sort of get an idea of the type of stuff that he designs, um, look up uh, Augusta National ninth green original and you'll see that the ninth green that exists today is nothing like the original one, which actually was a boomerang shape. And there's a part of me that, you know, wish that someone would jump the fence and rip up the current one and put back the original green. <laughs> it would be quite, um, it would be quite interesting. Um, so, and also large freeform sort of bunker shapes, which is synonymous with, you know, we'll call it Melbourne Sandbelt. And then a lot of additional sort of contouring. So how do you shape the land and create all these different effects, um, depth perception, um, misdirection by moving land around, but make it look like it's just part of nature and, and has been there. So that's kind of his style for all of his courses. And then post um, you know, World War Two. that's when, oh, not World War Two. World War One. that's when he's gone, right, the golf, this golf course design is is where he wants to, you know, spend a lot of his time. It's his massive, you know, it's primarily his passion. And one of the first things he actually did, and this is where I think not only the, 
the whole thing around what he learnt around camouflage and imitation of nature, but then the understanding about routing design and strategy in conjunction with the um, imitation of nature is that in 1915, he charted the old course of St Andrews and not just charted it like a little bit, charted it in detail. So um, apparently the that chart exists today and is on display um, and is one of the few that um, they refer to in terms of you know, all the contours, um, the landmarks, etc. Of, of the old course. So I think him going through that exercise has... So when you say charted it, just to the, to the layman like me, what do you, what do you mean? What, what did charting it mean? So you think he's just mapped it out, right? right. So where are the tees, where are the fairways, where are the, the swales, where are the humps, where are the bunkers, um, what, how is it routed, what are the best lines, where are the greens, what are the contours in the greens? So he's basically done it almost like a topology chart of the old course. So in great detail. So to do that and do that, with accuracy means that you have walked those grounds considerably and you have studied every inch of the old course. So you think about your wide expanses, undulation, misdirection, bunkers, strategy, greens, all of these things. So he's understood Lynx golf at its absolute foundation. And then you add to that, he's thought about the camouflage aspect of it and he's starting to build golf courses. So this is where he really starts to come into his own. So you chart that, you, you think about the knowledge he's probably gained from just walking every inch of the home of golf, which is still, you know, it's, like, it's just unparalleled. Um, so then in 1919, he started, uh, you know, it built a firm with Harry Colt and also Charles Allison. So two, monumental powerhouses for golf course design in um, the United Kingdom. And they spent four or five years, four years together before uh, Alistair McKenzie went out on his own and started actually doing his own designs for courses, primarily starting with the United Kingdom. But then he really started to expand into the United States and has had left quite a legacy um, for that and that's a reasonably sort of long history into talking about his journey but this is when it brings it to you know we're coming to you know we'll call it Rob, um, Alistair McKenzie at almost like this peak moment where he's got all of this he's garnered all of this knowledge all this information think about camouflage think about the home of golf and in 1926 You've got Royal Melbourne Golf Club, you know, at their previous site, they've acquired a heap of land near Sandringham and they're wanting to build, you know, a world-class um, golf course and they've garnered the, you know, services of Dr. McKenzie, but his fee was, quite, you know, quite expensive and, you know, we're talking about back then, so he's got to travel by boat He's only here for a certain amount of time. So what Royal Melbourne was able to do was they were able to offset a lot of their costs. And I think in the end, their 
um, the fee that they were being charged by um, Alice McKenzie was offset because they offered out his services at £250 each. So he was here for six weeks, so 10 other clubs ponied up £250 each. and But it wasn't 10. He ended up doing nearly 16 to 17 courses, not in detail. So there was ones that he, he'd helped do routing for. There was others he did some consultation and there's others that did more of a validation or recommendations around. So, so over the, that time. So in, yep. so for the people that are in maybe New South Wales, Queensland, WA and any other state or territory that do want to come to Melbourne, what are the courses that he's had a hand in down here? Or what are the one, you know, so first and foremost is Royal Melbourne. Absolutely, yes. So he did all the routing. Um, he taught um, Alex Russell legendary Alex Russell all about what he did and his techniques and why he designed it a certain way. And then at the same time, then he also taught um, Mick Morecambe, um, another legend as well, um, about, you know, his green design and stuff like that. Um, and any, and so they started to do some of the work at, at Royal Melbourne and any other course that was doing anything with, with um, the doctor and they were looking for who would who would help with the actual execution of his routing and designs, um, the, the doctor actually said there's no better, I think he actually has gone on record saying there's no better um, um, golf course, um, we'll call it um, shaper slash executor of creator of my designs, building designing, executing than um, Alex Russell and Mick Morecambe. So from that, those those two gentlemen were able to get a considerable amount of work for some of the work that um, Alison McKenzie had done. Um, but so outside of Royal Melbourne, if you just go by um, other courses on the Sandbelt, so Metro, he, he did some consultation, especially around the bunkering. Um, Kingston Heath, he'd done some, there's some work around some of the routing, but a lot of, a lot again, a lot around the bunkering. So if anyone was to go there, you know, you, you only have to look at some of the bunkering around Kingston Heath to sort of see, you know, hello, Captain Obvious. <laughs> um, Victoria Golf Club, again, that's another one. And Yarra Yarra, which is actually being, um, there's a bit of dispute on, um, how much it was Alex Russell versus how much was Dr. McKenzie. And that's one that Tom Doak is doing renovation on at the moment or a bit of a restoration, actually sort of trying to dig back some of the old plans. And uh, the one that's probably the more little known, but one that people could actually go and play and could be quite unique is not the whole course, but there's, there's probably about half the course he did some of the rerouting and then also consultation for his uh, Flinders golf club down uh, Mornington Peninsula way, mm-hmm. so there's a bit of sandbelt, but then there's um, there's some stuff uh, a bit further out. And uh, the doctor was on record as saying, outside of Cypress Point, uh, there is no better maritime view of a golf from a golf course than uh, Flinders Golf Club. So high praise from the great man. I think Flinders is oft lo- overlooked um, for visitors to the Mornington Peninsula area. You know they gravitate towards, and, and rightly so. You know, your St Andrews beaches, your dunes, your moon links, and uh, yeah, and those ones, and uh, also um, 
Sorrento, Portsea. Yeah, the, 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 know, we've got we've got riches down there, but you know, Sorrento's a bit harder to get on. Portsea's very open for for play, and uh, and thank you to um, Alex Dudley Bateman for helping us get uh, Chris, oh, Chris on, yes. which was very he was very very appreciative of. Anyway, uh, thank you, Alex. Um, great guy down there at Portsea Golf Club. Portsea's very accessible. Um, yeah, but Flinders often gets overlooked because it's just tucked away. Just it's a beautiful drive just down down there, you know straight past the uh, front door of the National Keep going and it's a great course. I played a lot of pennant golf there and, and it's absolutely right. The, the, the view from there from pretty much all the course, maybe bar a couple of holes, is just straight across to Tasmania and it's just a beautiful little golf course and they are so welcoming of visitors. Um, Josh Shaw is the professional down there, another uh, Peninsula Kingswood member actually as well, but he, he maintains his professional golf um down there at Flinders as the pro, and he has been there for a while, did his traineeship there, and uh, just go and play it. Go and play Flinders. Tell them that Roscoe and Rocket sent you, and they'll give you the Roscoe <laughs> and Rocket special, which I think might be, might be a free pull card or something like that. I don't know. But uh, go and play Flinders. It's fantastic. Anyway, but Alex, Alistair McKenzie had a hand in creating Flinders. There you go. What else? Sorry, I interrupted there. Um, well, they're the main ones in Victoria and the other courses um, through Australia and even New Zealand. So uh, Royal Queensland, yep. tr- primarily around the routing. Barwon Heads, another amazing, that's another amazing layout. It's just, that's a must play as well. Um, Royal Sydney, Pinball Golf Course, got Titarangi in uh, New Zealand. Royal Adelaide, where Chris also played as well, which I think is is one of his favourite places on the planet, and they, you know, they're the they're the only other main ones out of the courses here that um, the doctor has had a had an influence on. Whether it be from, you know, Royal Adelaide, he had more around the full, the full design, um, to others where he just had a hand in, you know, some routing, some guidance, you know, bunkering greens, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. You know, from a if you were to look at that list of courses from um, you know for its entirety, that the, you know Dr. Alison McKenzie's had a massive influence on creating some of the most amazing golf courses in a very small space in a very far flung part of the world, which has influenced a lot of people. And also, you know, you and I know there's a lot of people that are real, you know, absolute golf course architecture nerds and they make some massive treks out here to come and play some of these courses and some of the other newer courses that are being built um, as well. So, you know, we, we have to, you know, you have to give a lot of, you know, give a lot of thanks that, you know, just, you know, a lot of, we're being blessed with someone of his stature creating something amazing, which has created something that, you know, it's going to be, it's already being felt now for the, you know, the last hundred years and it's going to be the same for generations to come. Well, um, I remember when, and it's not just Australia, yes, obviously, you know, we have to be very thankful for that. Absolutely. But it's a global phenomenon. When I was at uh, La Hinch and I was booking in. And, that's you know, another, the, if you played the old course, that is another course that the doctor correct. designed. Correct. So I was inquiring with them about the course availability and, and 
you know, what they had coming up and, you know, they just had the South of Ireland Championships there the day before and, and they said, well, you're lucky you're here this week because, you know, this week is open to members and reciprocal members and guests and so on and, so on and visitors. But next week we've got the McKenzie Championships. And I said, you know, I didn't, I didn't know as much about, you know, this whole environment as I do now. Thank, mostly thankful to you, Rocket. But, um, you know, they have a McKenzie Cup so if you're a member of a, a course that's you know had the hand of Mackenzie over, oh, it, the winner f- gets to go play for the for, at Cypress Point. Yeah. So so they had the Mackenzie Cup and people just coming on mass from all over the world to La Hinch, who are the hosts of the Mackenzie Cup for that year. And I think this is like a, a global tournament that travels around mm. to Mackenzie courses year in year out. And uh, yep. It almost you know it was it was it was the thing that sort of started my interest. And my knowledge is a bull. A blip compared to what you just um, you know were able to deliver us then, Rocket. But that was sort of the foundation of when I started to get a little bit more involved and a little bit more interested in, rather than just going knocking you know a golf ball into the bushes you know every fifth shot. And um, I really did appreciate what I learnt that trip, and it almost made me want to come back and go and join a McKenzie course. But uh, that was a little bit beyond my reach <laughs> means, Rocket. I need a sponsored podcast to do that, Rocket, wouldn't I? <laughs> By Tailor-Made. Yeah, he's just a he's and you know, and we've just talked about Australia, and we haven't even talked about you know the footprint he left in the US. You know, his last you know ten years of his life, he's he spent most of his time in the US, and the footprint he left there is, you know, you rattle through it. There's Cypress Point, Augusta National, Valley Club of Montecito. Northwood, which is um, up the northern part of California, nine hall course, Casa Tiempo. Oh my God, that course is just amazing. And actually, he he built a, a house, had a house built where he based himself off the six hole, I think it was. Um, and I think they've they've kept it as it is. Um, it's almost like a bit of a shrine to him. Is that where he passed um, away? Did he pass away there at Casa yep. Tiempo? Yeah. Yep. 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 I don't know what uh, it is, but it, I don't know whether it's the name, whether it's that fact uh, that that part of the history, you know, the end end was was there, I guess, so to speak. Um, that's the course that I want to go and play. If you ask me where do you want to go oh, and play in the States, I want to oh, go and play at Pasa Tiempo. There's a mate of mine. So my last big golf trip tour around the US, we'd spent, a mate of mine and I, we'd spent pretty much a week on Monterey. And I wanted to go and play Pasa Tiempo. And I didn't hold firm on that plan and we went and played somewhere else. And after we played the other course, I was kicking myself that I didn't hold firm on saying we should just go and play this course because I don't know how many times I keep looking at the photos and I'm just going, why did we not go and play this course? Like, what was I thinking? Because anyone sees any photos, um, I think they had... Uh, the US, oh, what was one of the amateur tournaments they had there recently? And it was on TV. It was, um, it was just amazing. Like it's just, it is just one of those classic. It's just, it's it's the it's the doctor at his most extreme through the whole course. You know, there's a lot of different undulations, brankers, um, valleys, and gulches, and he's used every bit of he's used every bit of the course. And it's like one of those ones where I think it's like he's just gone, this is where he could really flex his muscles. And 
the beauty is that it's a semi-private, so the members there, but it is still a public course as well. So anyone can go play it, and it is it's in just out of it's it's in Santa Cruz, so it's an amazing little town. Only an hour from Monterey, so go and base yourself in Monterey if you have to drive up to take the fifty-minute trek up to Santa Cruz and go play Pasatempo, and don't do what I did and not play there because that's the dumbest thing I reckon I've ever done on a golf trip. Now, mate, I think that that is an excellent little play of why Dr. Alistair McKenzie is so important to the game and why people are going to love watching the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne so well. So when you're watching it, just give a little bit of an extra thought as to what has gone into creating that special environment that you're watching that great golf being played on. Now, Rocket, we were going to have a little bit of a, a President's Cup prelude, but at an hour and five minutes into the podcast, I'm not sure that we've got the time to do that. So um, maybe we might get together next week at the President's Cup. Oh, we, I think we might have to do that. We might get to, we might get together down there and I will sneak in some sort of uh, recording device. <laughs> which, which might actually allow us to record something uh, down there live on site. We'll try and do that. What do you reckon? I like the sound of that. I reckon you've got a better chance of doing that and surviving than trying to do that if you were trying to do that with Lefty over in Saudi Arabia. What's he done? What's happened? What what happened there? Fill me in. Oh, Lefty is uh is decided to play in Saudi Arabia next year and forego playing in the Phoenix Open, which he hasn't missed in 30 years. And um, so he's chasing a bit of the money. There's been a little bit of a backlash, a big blow-up on Twitterverse about, you know, everyone knows about Saudi Arabia. Anyone who doesn't understand what's happened in Saudi Arabia for the last 18 months, you're living under a rock. Get out from under it. Um, (laughs) And so Phil is going there, and there's a heap. There's DJ, Patrick Reed, Ricky. Um, So there's a heap of stars that are going there to play it. And under the guise of, quotation marks, Lego Lego figurine style, grow the game. And there's been a backlash. Um, Phil's kind of just give it the old, kind of don't care what everyone thinks. Um, I'm a little bit on the fence on this one because there's kind of a little bit of a moral ground you may need to sort of hold. But then at the same time, when they're dangling a bucket load of cash, eh, I don't know. These these guys should all be big enough and, and wealthy enough in their own right to be able to say, thanks for the invitation. But I politely decline because I'm otherwise committed to another tournament at that particular time. Paul Casey flatly refuses to play to play in events that are in the Middle East. There is a, there is the reason probably why when I'm sitting there watching him, there's something that I find engaging about him. Maybe because he's got a moral backbone. Moral compass points true north. So, do those guys who are going to Saudi Arabia get our first ever nomination for? Bearways and flogs. I don't know. What, what, are we going to call? We need a segment. I, I see all these other podcasts. <laughs> these other podcasts what are popping up. 
popping up and they've got segments and they're doing whiskey tastings and beer tastings and all of that sort of thing and nothing against that absolutely not yeah because they're trying to compete with us we've we've just we just know, mowing we just, lawns mowing lawns <laughs> and trying and trying to you know ingratiate ourselves with sponsors like Taylor made and Bushnell and <laughs> and um you know Cleveland and you know, the like. Do we need a segment, Rocket? Do we need a fairways and flogs? I don't know. I can't come up with a better name no, off the I, top of my head. Look, I, I think we, you know, we have a little bit where we talk about what's happening at the end. I don't think we need to give it a name. Okay. Everyone knows how we roll, you know. Everyone knows that Bryson's trying to get bigger and faster and stronger. He's hit the gym. He's putting on weight, you know. Speaking of speaking of lefty, all I could all I could get out of I couldn't get out of my head yesterday it was and I said it about twenty seven times. I had a friend uh, friend uh, get out of Luke Bratton. Luke Bratton from Sydney FC came out and uh, he didn't offer to carry the bag because he just come from training. But he came he came out and walked uh, quite a few holes with us. And uh, the dri- the driver was on form yesterday, Rocket. Let me tell you that the the the, the new wedges weren't on form, but uh, the driver was on form, and I was just letting go with the. Hitting bombs and attacking pins, and I probably said it a few too many times. <laughs> there you go. And I said, "I'm just hitting bombs and I'm just hitting bombs and attacking, attacking pins." <laughs> May have even been guilty of putting a social media post out with hitting bombs and attacking pins as well. But uh, that's, hey, what I, that's all what I can say is that look, Bill's. I think he's making a questionable decision. I'm not going to go into my full-on outrage. You know, we've got a bit of an outrage society. He does so many really good things. So I know how bad this is, but there's a part of me that kind of gives him a little bit of a pass for just going, look, for someone that's done so much for the game, does so much for other people, you know, anyone that's had a look at the um, the video from um, they just posted recently, where the young kid from 2017, we had a conversation on the side of the green, it was outside the fairway at um, one of the WGC events, which was quite funny. And during the practice round the very next year, he had that kid carrying his bag and he's like eight. And it was, it's just one of those things, right? You, you can't, yeah. you know, what he gives back to the game, I think outweighs him making a decision like this. So there was a, you know, I pause a little bit for someone like Phil. There's a few others where I go, you know, I don't think, I don't think they've got two brain cells to rub together, aka DJ. So, you know, he's just going to make questionable decisions full stop. But someone like Phil, oh, I'm not going to rake him over. I, I'm biased because I love him, but at the same time, I think he has more than enough credits in the bank to. Make a questionable decision. Everyone get outraged, but really, come on, he's done more. He's done more good in his lifetime than, than this one event. Rocket man, that's why I love you. You say how you see it, and tell us how you feel about it, and you do it with uh, with no questions, and that's the honest answer that we get. So, thank you very much, mate. I think we are going to have to leave it there. Where uh, it's past your bedtime. Yeah, I think. It- uh, you know, we can't upset Keely. You know, we've, we've talked about lawns too much, so apologies. <laughs> apologies. But, as I said, heritage. I can understand why you don't like grass. <laughs> need to wander down to the peninsula like I did. Follow the rocket man on the journey to the, the promised land and you'll understand why grass is so amazing.
Well, I look forward to having young Keely down there. I've told Darren that. He, she can uh, come down and have a round with us any time that she likes, um, as long as it uh, fits into your schedule and my schedule, but uh, I'm sure that's not a problem. Mate, once again, it's great to have you back, and uh, we'll speak to you next week down there live at the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne. We'll get some way of uh, doing a covert recording because the PGA might have their boffins out there with uh, swiping cameras and swiping uh, road uh, recording devices. Let's just see how we go, mate. Mate, it's been great to chat to you again. Why don't Why don't we finish with your special music? And here it comes. Oh, oh before that, the, the shameless plug. You've got. Thanks for sharing. Anyone who shared this, um, you get uh, a draw in the uh, the uh, annual draw for a box of uh, golf balls of your choice emblazoned with uh, the My Love of Golf podcast on the side. So if you do, if I'm just putting that out there. There we go. We've got a competition. Oh, my, in that podcast, oh my in that goodness, draw? what have I done? We just we just berated, you know, for not having a segment. And here I am saying, if you like and share, you'll go in the annual draw to win one box of golf balls of your choice with the My Love of Golf podcast stamped on the side. We're falling into the trap rocket. Anyway, if you do like this podcast, feel free to share it. Feel free to tell all your friends. Give us a five-star rating. We need a, someone gave us a one-star. or Yeah, I didn't like that. What? Yeah, I know. we got plenty, plenty of five-stars, but someone gave us that, a one-star. I don't understand that. That. Person, that person will be disqualified from the draw for the box of agates. Well, they didn't share it. And they just gave us a one. Anyway, five-stars, share. Just tell your friend, and but tell us. And if you've got any questions, anything you want to, want to t- uh, tell us, um, please give us feedback. We love it. Anyway, great to hear from you, bud. You're out of here. Glad to be back. Glad to be back.